Oh no. It's the American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Emmett McConnell. This week, continued struggles for CONCACAF Champions League teams, the New York Red Bulls, Atlanta United, and Sporting Kansas City. Maybe that one's a bit new. Meanwhile, New York City FC, Montreal, Impact, and the Galaxy proved themselves legit. Also to keep an eye on, San, Ho- San Jose surprises us. LAFC continue to ruin elite team seasons. Columbus loses three straight. DC United is a shell of the early season selves. And is there an elite team in the East? Or is LAFC a league of their own? All ahead on the American Soccer Show. Let's get into the Week 9 headlines. First up, Colorado just continues to concede goals. But to Chicago of all teams, not to be fair, it's a decent attack in Chicago, but it's a 4-1 victory for the Fire. Colorado, under Anthony Hudson, have at no point seemed like a potential playoff team. They're essentially the league's punching bag at this point. I know the Colorado games are at least always interesting. There's always goals, usually for both sides. Uh, But I hope they can figure something out, because I don't think it's good for the league when a team is consistently this bad. If I had any control of the team, I would try to be set something up similar to what Montreal has done. Colorado's defense might be bad, but with organization, even it could be a solid back line. Until Hudson shows some tactical, tactical flexibility, or leaves, this will remain the worst team in the league. No wins in eight games, but they have two draws, if that means anything to you. Chicago, meanwhile, is my dark horse pick this season, and this game was a good showing for them, but a win against Colorado doesn't mean all that much. Chicago's now in eighth, one spot out of the playoffs, and which might be a little early to talk about that, but I will be uh, you know, looking at each team's position this early on in the season. Uh, and Nico Gaetan is starting to show his quality now, uh, but the Fire's weakness is still their lack of fullbacks. I think with a solid right back and left back, though I think Jeremiah Gutierrez hasn't been terrible so far, I would feel much more confident with Bastian Schweinsteiger and Dax McCarty at defensive mid, though they're both aging. And then the back line, obviously, Marcelo and Johan Kapilov. I don't think are a terrible pairing, but with Bastian back there, you just lose a lot of speed and strength. Uh, I am surprised, so to note that CJ Sapong is still starting and getting significant time for the fire. Uh, I'm expecting moving forward, a front four of Alexandra Katai, Nico Gaetan, Georgi Mihailovic, and Nemanja Nikolic. And I think that that front four is certainly playoff quality, if not probably top five in the East. Uh, from the other early game on Saturday, the Philadelphia Union beat the Montreal Impact 3-0. I did mention the Impact are proving themselves legit, but this one was a bit tough for them. Uh, they had their good game plan. They set up to defend play quickly in transition. Unfortunately, without Ignacio Piatti, they still just seem to lack a little bit of an edge that they need at time to win games like this. They still had chances on the break, but with the Union's high-pressure system, Montreal was actually pretty clever to move the ball horizontally as well as vertically to beat the press. Uh, and in the end, for Montreal, their downfall was just a couple of defensive lapses. A bad back pass, an unnecessary penalty, and essentially they gift the Union a 2-0 lead before half. Uh, Montreal didn't manage the injuries well, also, and was forced to make two halftime changes, including taking off their biggest goal threat, Saphir Tider. It was more or less a lost cause at this point, uh, but Montreal 
is now in second. They did have a game midweek that I'm going to get to in a second. Uh, having just played one home match so far, too. 14 points from nine games isn't exactly great. It's good. It's definitely playoff quality, though. And Montreal's going to make the playoffs. I mean, one home game so far, nine games, and they're this far. I think they get Piotti back. They get home field advantage. This is a team to watch. This, I mean, Maybe you don't enjoy their style. Maybe you prefer to watch Colorado play and concede four goals every game. But they're going to be a team in the East, given that there's no front runners to challenge. Maybe not the first spot, but they'll be in the playoffs, and they make life difficult for everyone they face. Which will be Chicago on Sunday. Uh, I'd be just slightly afraid of Montreal once they get Piatti back, to be honest, because that defense is looking much better under Remy Gard. The Union, meanwhile, are showing improvements over the past few years. The draw in Atlanta and win in Cincinnati saves some face, but there are still worries about this team's ability on the road. At home, however, outside of the Toronto game, this team looks tough to beat, and they've shown resilience to come back, as shown in the Dallas game. Things just seem to go their way at home, I guess. I don't understand that. Uh, it's just a home field thing with soccer. The big thing for Philly, though, is the increase in depth and quality. Jamiro Montero has proven to be a good signing, and I think he'll only get better. Uh, and meanwhile, they have four players all fighting for the striker position. And let's be honest, in the past, those have not been that great. Actually, I should say there's been five, because Kasper Pashpilko has been very, very impressive at Bethlehem Steel, and Jim Curtin has been dying to get him some minutes. So between David Akam, Fafa, Pico, Corey Burke, and Sergio Santos, when he comes back from injury, add in Kasper Pashpilko, and there isn't a sure starter. Though Burke seems to have the edge now, it was Akam the favorite just a few weeks ago. And I think this is good for the Union, because if one guy isn't firing, they know they have others to pick up the slack. They are now in fourth place through eight games with 13 points to go. With 13 points, and go to Vancouver on Saturday. Uh, And then they have five home matches in six games. And it's a great opportunity to jump ahead early in the standings, something that they usually wait until later seasons to do. Just two years ago, they started 0-4-4. And last year, they only had one win in their first eight games. So I think this is a new union we're seeing. And again, given that there's no teams in the East that are impressing everyone the way Atlanta, maybe the Red Bulls have in the past, I think this is a good time as any for teams such as Montreal and the Union to be stepping up and getting out to an early lead. Back to Montreal, they did go on the road again on Wednesday, and they flipped the switch, this time winning 3-0 over the New England Revolution. I think New England is in trouble. Uh, The the only real quality player I see on this team is Carlos Heal. The rest of the team doesn't seem to be MLS quality to me. Now, that could be due to coaching. Brad Friedel has gotten some shtick for his coaching, but he has reason to be frustrated with his team. The plan to sign an elite number nine has been the big thing that was thrown around Um, you know, the rumors around New England this offseason and still into this point in the season, but it won't fix the defensive problems. Yes, there's been a real lack of a goal-scoring forward. I think last match was the first time in however many games that the Revolution have had where their center forward that game had a shot on goal, and that is concerning. Um, But I'm a big proponent of the importance of the midfield, and this episode, I will touch on that quite a lot. And outside of Heal... The quality just isn't there. I think New England seems destined for the bottom of the table. I fear Brad Friedel will get the sack before Anthony Hudson, if only because of how outspoken he is against his players. 
It's not always a good look, but I think something has to change in New England. Maybe Brad Friedel isn't ready for the head coaching gig just yet. I don't think that's the case. I think that the management in New England is lacking something, and I don't think that's Friedel. I think it's the player quality uh, and the acquisitions that they've made, other than Keel, have been backwards at the best. Moving down south to Dallas, not in Dallas, but Dallas took all three points with a late winner in Atlanta. So, things are not going well in Georgia. The win in New England last week is seeming like a fluke now. Or just the Reds that bad. They did beat the Red Bulls. The interesting thing about Atlanta is there's still so much ridiculous quality in this lineup. And there's still good play going on. But this is like half things just not going right and half poor preparation. And that kind of comes down to Frank DeBoer. Joseph Martinez does not look like the player he was last year. Pity Martinez is not the player we know he can be and have seen him be at times. The defense is getting isolated from the midfield. Let me get back to that. I think I put it down to Frank DeBoer's coaching, which, to be fair, doesn't have a good track record. But I think with the players of his quality, you'd expect a few more good results just from the skill alone. Ezekiel Barco proved that in New England with his goals. But the rest of the guys, Julian Gressel, Darlington Nagby, Breck Shea, that one I'll, maybe I'll, I'll leave alone, they're not proving themselves worthy champions. Same thing with both Martinez. Same with Leandro Gonzalez-Pires. Honestly, Miles Robinson is the only person I've been impressed with so far. I am expecting DeBoer to get the sack sooner rather than later, if only because I think Atlanta wants to be an elite team, and that's usually how the top teams in the world treat their managers who perform poorly. I'm not a big proponent of it. I think the best managers are the ones who are given time and implement their system. I mean, just looking across MLS, uh, you look at Jim Curtin with the Union. He's been there for a while, and we're finally starting to see the best out of them. Remy Gard started the season with two wins in 12 games, no draws, 10 losses. And look what he's done with them so far. I think that, you know, I've already said the word sack three times about three different coaches. But I would like when MLS coaches are given the chance. Toronto didn't sack Greg Vanny after last year's disappointing season, and now they're back to their form from two years ago in their MLS Cup season. But I think Atlanta, they want to be a top team, and that's how they that's how they treat their coaches. It's not the answer. I think there's an obvious lull in the play down south, but I expect that unlike Toronto last year, things will turn around this season. They're currently in last place with five points from six games. Remember, that's only six games. A lot of teams have played nine. Given the three games in hand that they have against most teams, this squad has plenty of time to right some wrongs. Winning all three of those games would put Atlanta in second place. Not all terrible when said and done. So, and guess who they play next? Colorado. If they blow that one, I would seriously kind of start giving up hope. A win there, and suddenly they're in business. That would be two wins in three games. This one hurts, though. But Dallas is meanwhile looking pretty good. I mean, they don't have the names of before. And it was tough to get a pulse on this team before the season started without knowing too much about these young guys. But once again, every year we've been proven that this is not a team that is fun to play against. They're always in the playoff hunt and are currently in fourth with 16 points from six games. Sorry, 16 points from eight games. That's seriously where any team wants to be, about two points for match. Two points per match, and after 34 matches, totaled up, that's 68 points. 
mean, not only playoff bound, but that's just one win away from breaking the all-time record for MLS points. So Dallas are in a good position, but I think that they're not infallible. They face some real challenges soon, including an on-the-rise San Jose team, a Texas Derby, the New York Red Bulls, and two against LAFC. That'll seriously prove their mettle, but Dallas, I mean, it's nice to see the youngsters. Luchi Gonzalez certainly has an idea of how FC Dallas is meant to play, and any given year we think, oh, they lose their, their best player this year. They lose their next best player. I mean, it was not too long ago where Castillo was their best player, then Mauro Diaz, and they still are up there with the best, and it has to be given some credit to that youth system. Given how the Red Bulls have been looking, I might crown Dallas the best youth system in MLS. Now I'm going to get into a few enigmas. It'll take me a while to get to the second and third, but we'll start off with the first, and that is the Portland Timbers winning in Columbus. A 3-1 win on the road. Is this what turns things around for Portland, their first win of the season? I think that it did turn things around after the tough calls you know, didn't go their way in Dallas. I think maybe they felt robbed, and this was their retribution. But don't expect this team to sit bottom all year. Maybe it's a turning around point, maybe it isn't, but things will change sooner rather than later. Uh, last year it took them five games to get a win, this year was seven. The difference being that Portland has yet to play a home game this season as the stadium is finishing renov- renovations. We talk all the time on this show about the importance of home games. Last year, Portland won just four games on the road and 11 at home. Remember, the 17 road, 17 home. Even if they don't reach four road wins, I fully expect them to once again be a playoff team. And remember, with the veteran leadership on that team, once again, they could be a MLS finalist. They had 54 points last year. 48 would have been enough for a playoff spot. Just based off of home wins, they have 33. They're not too much further to go. Uh, And still, I think the way things are going, and despite the fact that Portland isn't like a bad team, despite their results, this one was odd. Because Columbus have always been a stout defensive team, and Portland recently a feat in front of goal. Before this match, they had just six goals in their six matches played. Remember, three of those were in that opener in Colorado. That is just three goals in five games before that. Portland has five more road games until their first home match and maybe they'll squeeze one more win out like this but don't be surprised to see them languish at the bottom for a bit longer Columbus meanwhile is now facing their own struggles this is their second straight loss previously at Montreal their first home game they lost one nothing but then things got worse midweek when they lost a second in a row at home and third in total to DC United that's just one goal over the course of those three matches that they scored and the Caleb Border, Greg Berhalter magic in Columbus seems to be dwindling for now. I think this is a team that really relies on certain types of old school play. Nothing fancy, but things like set pieces, early crosses, and tough defenses set out wins. It's easy to see how those few things aren't going well, and if they don't, wins are going to be tough to come by, and especially goals. They're super reliant on Giassi Zardes scoring from within the six-yard box. And he's not going to do much outside of that. Reliant on an aging Federico Higuain to be creating space and chances. And the wig play, I would say, is subpar in general this year. Pedro Santos has looked more productive, but is he a DP level still? 
I don't think so. I do think he fits the Columbus mold, though, because he is very hardworking. On the left side, uh, Robinho and Justin Merrim are underwhelming. And I think the biggest thing is the wing play, they're not relying on 10 goals and 10 assists from their wingers every year. But it's the fullbacks. This team is missing their excellent fullbacks. Milton Valenzuela, obviously, with the ACL injury, will be out for the season. That's a big hurt. And on the other side, Harrison Awful has been out with a broken jaw and hopefully return soon. Because I think without him, this Columbus team misses that edge. Their wing play just drops down a whole bunch, and Jossie Zardes is going to lose a lot of effectiveness in the box. But as it is, things aren't really changing for Columbus despite these issues. They're still relying on those players and that type of play. They're never going to be the team that wins 3-0. Maybe they have a couple, but they're a 1-0 team. Uh, but they are in a first-place team, despite their short stint there. Fifth is right about where I think they were last year, where they belong. Uh, but they're a playoff team, and they're one that's structured to succeed in the playoffs. When they're fully healthy, it's a tough team to play and a tough place to go. As it is, with two stand-in fullbacks, not ideal in Columbus, heavily reliant on those positions. Meanwhile... In that game, they lost D.C. United 1-0. They're now first place in the East. And while it seemed they were deserving for a time, they're showing that they're more flawed than initially thought. They got the 1-0 win in Columbus thanks to a free-kick goal from Wayne Rooney. And what they have that a team like Columbus doesn't is star power. And that, with that comes individual brilliance, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Wayne Rooney, Lucho Acosta, Lucas Rodriguez, all these guys have the quality to kill you on their own. It, make ta- it makes tactics go out the window sometimes, and it can, at times, salvage three points, as we saw in Columbus. The DC defense is generally very strong, but I also worry about depth like Columbus. And like Columbus, the worry is injuries to fullbacks. Joseph Moore, the left back, is out, and Leonardo Hara, the right back, has been dealing with an injury and only recently returned. I think with a healthy back line, this is one of the best in MLS, but their second options are not. Chris McCann's fine. Paul Areola is serviceable anywhere in the field, but they're just not suitable fullbacks in this system, which can be like Columbus at times, when needing their fullbacks to get forward and get back and basically do everything. They were humbled over the weekend to NYCFC, once again showing some weakness, uh, and they haven't really been the same since that 4-0 home loss to LAFC, and this NYCFC one uh, was just a little bit more dirt in the wounds, salt in the wounds. Into that game, New York City came away with a 2-0 victory, and perhaps is riding the ship in New York. Uh, they also won this week one home at home, one nothing against Chicago on Wednesday. But in that one, neither team was all too convincing. A save penalty from David Usted made it a respectable result in the end. But it seems New York City is building back up the dominance from last year, the first half of last year, and previous years, especially at home. Even with the questionable results from early in the season, they've still not lost at home this year. Teams have been able to frustrate them with draws, but it's still a fortress. And I think this is one of the most talented New York City teams ever. And maybe the success is despite Torrent. Maybe that's unfair. I, I expect them to make a real playoff push soon. Maybe not too soon. Maybe it's too soon for playoff push. 
but they're certainly showing, especially in that Minnesota game, and then going into Audi Field with a win like this, that they're, you know, this isn't a New York City team that you can walk over that maybe people thought from their early results, but this is a New York City team of old and one to be feared. And I think if DC keeps struggling and relying on that certain magic that they get out of Wayne Rooney, they might get pushed for that first place spot pretty soon. And who knows, maybe it'll be New York City. Maybe it's a little too early for that to judge them. Uh, but that's a bit of a tangent, so I could tie together some of the midweek games. But now let's get to the other odd game, which was the Revolution winning on Saturday over the New York Red Bulls. I've been trashing the Revolution, but they did get this win here. And But even with a struggling Red Bulls team, I expect them to beat the Revolution. So I don't know what to say about this. I'll have Brian Rice on the show again soon, but the Red Bulls are are better than this? Are they? I don't know anymore. I was never a big fan of the Moyle-Royer winger partnership. Moyle less so. I think Royer's okay. Uh, the right Phillips is certainly facing his decline. But isn't the defense the same? Luis Robles is still in goal. Uh, Kamar Lawrence being out it definitely hurts the defense, but should it make that big of a difference? As I mentioned, I don't know how many times in this episode or in the show, I'm a believer of midfield support and how important that is. So maybe losing Adams hurts more than people realize. But Christian Caceres is supposed to be his replacement. He's a talented player. You still have Sean Davis. He's the same man playing a similar role. It's just more responsibility. Is he at a skill level to accept that? Kaku, of course, has been pretty useless since that transfer debacle in the offseason and two weeks ago launched a ball at a fan, receiving a three-game ban. Is the issue with them not having an Elite 10 like Kaku was at times last year? I think it's a lot of these things, but fans seem to put most of the blame on the only half-assed energy drink soccer that is put out. Red Bulls are at their best when they press and play, winning the ball, getting it back high up the field. It's a risky strategy, but it works for them, and it should remain their identity. Rumors of Thierry Henry getting the manager role are floating around. I'm not sure if I buy it. A, even if it happened, given his performance in France, it was Monaco technically, uh, how he would, if he would be good enough to actually turn things around. And B, uh, even if he does, I don't even think he will improve the play all that much. Uh, I'm not sure uh, the coach is the reason here. We did see Chris Armas successful when Jesse Marsh left midway through 2018. Uh, I think maybe it's time to see some youngsters get a chance, pu- push those first-team players to fight for the position. Could light a fire on this team that currently sits second to last, and lost to the Revs of all team. Even Atlanta beat them, which of course jokes, I think Revolution, they are an MLS team. You still have to show up to beat them. But Atlanta's in last. Their saving grace, though, is a minus one goal differential. Uh, That's the thing that keeps me from giving up on them. Columbus, New York City, Orlando all have that in the East. It might be a little cliche, but if a few bounces go their way, a few calls here and there, To be honest, that's the difference between the Red Bulls being a fifth-place team in this one. They don't have the talent of Atlanta. I think Atlanta can pull themselves up just on talent. But the Red Bulls need to get back to their ways and maybe sort some wrongs, maybe fix some tired legs. Because it's not looking great for them at the moment. The other strange match is that the Earthquakes steady rise to form in a 4-1 win over Sporting Kansas City. 
I think there's a constant between some of the underperforming teams, and that's the CONCACAF Champions League, excluding Houston for some reason. They seem to be doing fine. I know this is a bad excuse. I know people don't like this. But it's really, in my mind, the best explanation and why those teams are struggling. They're still good teams. They should still be somewhere towards the top of MLS. But I think it's like a CONCACAF Champions League. It tires you. It kills the confidence. I think that's why they're, why they're struggling. Call me crazy. Maybe this is just the parity in the league showing. For this game specifically, is it fair to say it's a CONCACAF Champions League fault? No. Not at all. San Jose is figuring things out. That's where I put most of this. I did claim before the season that San Jose isn't a bad team. Early on, I did not look very smart, and maybe starting to doubt that. But there is a quality in this team that I believe is certainly there that has been mostly mismanaged for most of its time. And Matias Almeida is making improvements and figuring out how to make his team the best. Uh, and I think in this one, he, he just he 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 outcoached Peter Vermees, which is not very uh, not very common to be honest. And it was more or less the same way a lot of teams have beaten him, and that's getting behind the high line. The two Danny Houston goals were just that. And I'm wondering why this guy wasn't starting before. He's proved himself as their best striker last year. Meanwhile, you have Shea Salinas' rise to glory. It's a bit out of left field. Uh, but we have to give some credit to San Jose before we bash Sporting for, the, for being terrible in this one. Um, I think drawing the Red Bulls in their current form also didn't look great, and this even worse. Uh, but that was until we saw how San Jose matched up against Seattle before we realized maybe Kansas City doesn't deserve that much criticism for this because they jumped up, San Jose that is, to a 2-0 lead in Seattle midweek thanks to that anomaly of a man, Shea Salinas. Though the Sounders were able to fight back and salvage a draw in the end. I would guess Matias Almeida Almeida must be furious with how uh, with how it was given away, basically. I mean, the first was from a corner kick that bounced in the box. Still, uh, it might be the time where we're seeing the rise of San Jose. They probably aren't a playoff team, to be fair. It's two good results so far. But no longer are they the pushovers that many thought from the first few weeks. Now, I haven't mentioned Christian Espinosa for a while, but he's a super quality player, and I think he deserves some credit. I mean, even from the starting poor performances, he was always the best player for them and was the one kind of shining moment. Uh, and the crazy thing about this game is that San Jose could have actually won 4-2 or 4 nothing. They hit the post twice in this game, one from Espinosa. Uh, really impressive, and I'm excited to see what Almeida continues to do with this team. Um, I do want to touch on the LAFC impact. Uh, I think they can make any team look weak, uh, which they did against... San Jose and kind of opened the floodgates for people kind of piling on the blame on San Jose. But then last week against Seattle, possible they deflated them the way they did against DC. And that kind of led to San Jose maybe getting an edge they wouldn't have had against Seattle. A lot of variables here. Uh, But that'll transition us into that Sunday match where LAFC beat Seattle 4 1. And my oh my, this team seems untouchable except for maybe the depth players. But first, I'll touch on Seattle. I don't think they were necessarily terrible in this one. It was just Roman Torres who was. If this match showed us anything, it was how much this squad needs Chad Marshall. They did have a midweek against San Jose, but again, something of an anomaly in that team's rise of form. Anyway, Torres had some real shockers in the LAFC match, 
and was more or less at fault for at least three goals. Meanwhile, credit to LAFC, they were phenomenal. Everything they touched was perfect, and some of the passing was next level. I mean, some of the assists, Mark Anthony Kays to um, Christian Ramirez was net, was unbelievable. And with how this team is playing now, anything but a supporter shield in MLS Cup, I think, would be seen as a disappointment. Uh, Diego Rossi is coming into his own. Carlos Vela is a standout for MVP. Uh, Edward Atuesta has outdone Benny Failhaber at the six. What a quality midfielder Atuesta is. Unbelievable. Mark Anthony Kay is excellent every single match, and the defense is just as good. Though maybe that stems some support elsewhere. But the funny thing is, I think because of the loss to Vancouver, where they played four or five backups, now the Galaxy could be level with LAFC. Uh... The Galaxy have 19 points from 8 matches to LAFC's 22 and 9. Looks like if the previous years were New York dominant in a lot of ways, this one would be Los Angeles-centric. Been interesting to watch the rise of LAFC as well as the Galaxy impressing. So how about I talk about them then, the Galaxy? They won 2-1 against Houston on Friday last week. Zlatan scoring again, proving his own MVP candidacy. There was a late goal from Diego Polenta that secured the win. It is really amazing what Guillermo Barroscolotto has done. Uh, but many have claimed he hasn't really created an identity for this team. And I think that's kind of bogus. This squad has three excellent midfielders who kind of don't get a lot of credit. But they're still relying on crosses to create chances, which, I, which is interesting. But I think their ability to move the ball from inside to out just before crossing is very impressive. I don't think winning should be reliant on an identity, high press, counterattacking, possession. They just play good soccer. They defend well for the most part, and they get the most out of their players. And once again, it comes down to the midfield. Adding Joe Corona was the perfect addition and one that is going to go under the radar, but could easily be the acquisition of the offseason. They now play with three midfielders who aren't really 10s. None of them are 8s. None of them are 6s. But they're just three really talented players who know how to play the ball on both sides, attack and defense, and support the attack and defense necessary, making runs, coming back for the defense. For me, these are the three big performers this year for the Galaxy, not Zlatan. To be fair, he's good. But he's the penalty man. Nothing against him, he does draw a lot of them, and he still has to score them, and he has a few headed goals too. But the midfield is where the success, the success comes. And that I think that kind of comes down to, you saw last year, Zlatan was also very good with 19 goals, but the midfield wasn't good enough. And the defense... Uh, as a result, I think we're, seeming, we're not seeing an improved Zlatan. I think we're seeing an improved midfield, and that's why the Galaxy are a playoff team this year. Houston, meanwhile, received their first loss of the season. I don't think this is a stellar squad. The front four are deadly like always. But by adding a center back and center midfielder, they've shored up some of the problems that have plagued them in the past year. It is an elite Houston team. But outside of Seattle, LAFC, and the Galaxy, are there really any elite teams? I think it's fair to say these guys are the next best thing until someone else proves otherwise. Yeah, I've been praising the Galaxy, but then they went out to draw midweek at Minnesota, which, new stadium at Minnesota, maybe doesn't seem that great. But they were without Jan Gregouche and Francisco Calvo, and it was a frustrating game for both sides. <sighs> to be honest, though, I think missing the, at least the second helped defensively. Uh, Brent Coleman also stepped in for Michael Boxall in center mid, and I, that also seemed to be a helpful change on defense. And to be honest, it was nice to see Minnesota fix some defensive problems, even if it came at the expense of their killer attack. The Galaxy didn't really seem to be much better, to be honest, even though they had 57% of possession. 
And I think this could be a turning point for either team unless they sort things out. For Minnesota, it could be a moment where we start to see their attack falter, lose confidence. Though I think this game is a bigger upside, proving that they can get a shutout, than for the Galaxy. And I think if the Galaxy continue to face teams who play like Minnesota and frustrate them, it could become a blueprint for how to get results against Zlatan and the Galaxy and how to defend him. We're on to the last match, which was Orlando beating Vancouver, one nothing. After a tough cross-country flight and midweek game, Vancouver didn't do much to rest in their first-team players, but still almost came away with a draw in Orlando. In the end, it was a rare shutout for Orlando, but a fortunate deflection late in the game that gave them the goal. As it is, Orlando is, quietly, I guess, uh, working themselves into a good position. They're in sixth. There have been many games where they've been dominant or been great, but they've earned results here and there. They've been tough, and this is a better Orlando team than last year. The problem for them, when the other teams start figuring things out, when the Red Bulls, when Atlanta, when New York City start finding their form, I'm afraid Orlando will be the team that falls as a result. On the other side, Vancouver, who just came off of a massive victory against LAFC, uh, doesn't seem to be in any better of a position. That was their first win of the season. Can you believe it? Eight games, one win, and it was against LAFC. Uh, they're now in 10th place, just ahead of Portland, and of course, the tepid Colorado Rapids. Uh, just outside the playoff picture, I think the Quakes, Vancouver, and Colorado are probably going to be sitting in that order for the rest of the season, but it's also Sporting Kansas City who are just missing out. I know this is early. For some teams, it's only six games, but it's interesting to see how these standings are starting to take shape. Well, that's it for this week. It's all the time on the American Soccer Show. If you want, check out some past episodes if you have the heart. Until next time, I'm your host, Emmett McConnell, signing off.